0: Welcome to Awaken
1: Podcasts. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alrighty, my friends. If you could make your way back to your seats, that would be great. Find a place to sit. <clears throat> so nice to see you all. Um, hi. It's good to see you, wow, man oh man, (laughs) oh man, too kind, you're too kind, you're too kind, maybe maybe my first and last standing O ever. Uh, My name's Micah, if we haven't met, I'm so glad that you're here. If, um, if you haven't been around Awaken at Advent, uh, you have missed out on one of my favorite things that we do, which is our Advent art series. And so each Advent, we ask an artist and a writer to create around the themes of Advent and to share those during our worship gatherings all the way up to Christmas Eve. And so this morning we have Isa Day and Selena McManus. So if uh, you would come, Isa first, and they're going to share a little bit about their pieces and read the work that they have prepared. So would you welcome them?
2: Uh, hello everyone, uh, this is such an honor to be here today and once again I'm showing one of my paintings. Um, if you don't see it here, yeah, we have a kind of a copy up there. The reason why is uh, I sent it yesterday to my mom, I texted and she opened it on her cell phone and she thought it was a bug on a So please look up, look. Um, So I'm gonna start with the title. Uh, So when we get this uh, assignment for this painting, we get kind of words like waiting and anticipation and hope, hopelessness, like joy, um, peace. So we had all these words. Waiting, anticipation is kind of the main. Um, But all I could think of is the question I've been asking God for the last six months. And the question is, when are you going to show up? And I would try not to cry at all. Um, but not really, no. Um, so in my painting, I, um, I thought six months ago, we were told that we have to leave our home of 10 years. Uh, we have three, ki- three kids and three pets. And we've been there for 10 years. We grew to know our neighbors. We loved our community there. Um, I'm from another country, I know. You probably didn't know. (laughs) Um, So yeah, so let's. And this place was my second home now. And I knew which store to go to my gas station. It's really important. Um, All these things. And sadly we were told, hey, you have to move. You can transfer to another place. It's gonna cost a lot of money or you just move out. So we decided that it would be cheaper to buy a house than to rent an apartment again and started our whole process of trying to buy. Um, there was a lot of things uh, in our way and even more and things that were not our fault. And by the, we were supposed to move by the end of July and I'm telling kids, it's going to be okay. God is going to show up. And I keep asking God, okay, this is a good time now because we have about two months now. <laughs> um, okay, let's rent storage space so we can maybe move some of our things. God, this is a good time to show up. Um, kids, don't worry. God was going to show up. Um, kids, don't worry. Don't gonna, you are not going to change the schools. We're going to keep you in your school. Uh, you will lose all your friends in a neighborhood your school will stay. Um, July comes, middle of July. We are talking to our life group leaders. They are here. Um, and we are saying, we don't have home. In about two weeks, we don't have home. And God didn't show up. And, and they said, we have a room for you in our house. We have this whole basement, there are two bedrooms. You can live here until you're ready to buy. So we started moving to their house. Three kids, three pets, um, And we made it work. It was a blessing. And I asked God that same day, God, when are you going to show up? We've been there now for almost four months, and we were able to buy a house. And um, I realized somewhere in the middle of these four months that God was showing up all the time. We had a home. We had the roof over our heads. Um, I was able to drive kids to school. Um, We love our life group leaders. They became our family. When you talk about community, this is it. We've been eating dinners together, washing dishes together, cleaning floors together, walking their dog. (laughs) Um, They were feeding my pets. Um, We became a community. So now my painting, quick. (laughs) Um, I thought that sometimes we wait for God to show up. I wanted to fly, and all I could think of is I need this hot air balloon to fly. And I even have a... um, it's hard to see up there, but there is a little instruction how to fly that balloon. And I've been checking and learning and ripping papers and trying to figure it out, just like our home situation. And all God did was impossible. He said, How about this paper airplane? How about that? So our ways are not His ways. Recognize blessings when they come because you're going to miss out so much. And don't turn your blessing into curses. Living with Paul and Patty, our life group leaders, has been some of the most amazing moments of my life this year. It's been very hard. Um, We are going to move to our new house in about a week. Um, One of the biggest gifts is We found a house in our old neighborhood. We are right back where we were. And I have the exact same gas station. (laughs) Um, People who know me, that's where we get our milk. We walk there and we get milk and eggs and it's like our local gas station. It's important. Um, Blessings, recognize your blessings in your life. Please welcome Selena, our writer for this week.
0: do that. So. Um, when analyzing what Advent means to me, I began to mull over my idea of heaven and earth and the nuance of the Spirit's presence in our lives as we've been touching on here at Awaken. In this, I created a poem inspired by my own current longings that I believe connects to society as a whole, along toward togetherness and community. It's just related. Um, in a time of constant disruption and brokenness, we seem to be moving further and further away from each other, whether that's due to our dependence on our little gods we text on or how we handle the hurt that cripples the earth and everyone in it. This poem tackles this pain, but also the hope for a deeper joy amidst our suffering and the anticipation of what's to come. The title is a tongue-in-cheek reference to Heaven by the Talking Heads, which begs to ask, what does it mean if we see a place where nothing ever happens as a good thing? This further asks us to reevaluate how we come across specific language interpretation, which is also something we do here at Awaken that I cherish. So, heaven is a place where nothing ever happens. When there is peace, there is nothing, a great nothingness. Absent fields of slightly stirred grains of wheat, my whole self spread wide beneath a shapeless wind, hushed, listening. As I lay in this space, I repeat the whisper of our father through a tongue sliced, simply striving to sing, through sharpened teeth, sharpened to look like small crosses, those my great uncles told me to bear. Shape and time bears no meaning. There are only different kinds of brightness. There will be no distant combines, moving slowly, an imminent murmur of the ever-present chaos of the earth being as it is, eons of zygotic memories stacking like pancakes, gooey and patriotic and unsustained happiness. We dot the sky with our star bodies, made of gaseous ancestry that constitutes our bloodline, and we wonder why we ache. The way we want to taste without digesting is how we die, but to live is to cut the apple into slices and feel it move down our throats toward fullness. Stuffed, still, and flat against the cooled earth, there is not just the shape of a man, but a fantastic light, rushing toward me like thousands of comets, repeating an action of redemption. You flip Jesus on his head, and he is no longer polished, white, and bearded, but what an actual beating heart looks like. This heart combusts into a thousand souls, and yet they scatter and cry out, I'm lonely, their eyes blinded by a rush of every moving reproduction of who they're meant to be. Your enemy is not the one you cannot see, but the mosquito that affixes to your skin that you feed with your blood and allow it. And at last, when there is nothing, we are forced to see others as they are, hands outstretched towards empty space with LED blacklit eyes. Thank you. While the themes of the Advent experience are words like waiting, anticipation, longing, and even darkness, I invite you to feel the tension between these words and the arrival of hope, love, peace, and joy.
1: We could probably just say amen and send you all home. The problem is I haven't been here in five weeks and I have a lot to say. <laughs> Um, hey friends, if you are just joining us this week, uh, I have been out uh, for the last five weeks for reasons that are complicated and very simple at the same time. If you are new and you don't know what is happening and what I'm about to say or what it applies to, I would invite you to go to awakencommunity.com/sundays/suspension. Backslash backslash it's all there. <laughs> Uh, you can uh, you can follow along, read any documents that are there, and hear about an annu- or a congregational meeting that we had a few weeks ago. And so I want to first, uh, we're going to talk about Mary, which I'm very excited about. I- I've been prepping this for, well, a few weeks now. And uh, I'm really excited about this teaching, but I-, I feel like I need to say a few things before we get there. Is that fair? Um, I need to see all of your eyes for a moment, if I could. So eyes here, kids. We're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. We're going to be fine. You all are an amazing and beautiful and wonderful group of people, and you know exactly what to do, and you've been doing it in my absence, and we're going to be okay. So fear not. No more gloom. No more sadness. No more depressive spirit lingering around here. Like Chin up, everybody. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Second... Thank you. My goodness gracious. Laura and I, my family, we have felt an unbelievable outpouring of joy and and gratitude and love from you all. Uh, I can't tell you how much that means to me. Um, Much of this has been happening uh, under the watchful eye of my children. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but you model what it means to be a church to my kids. I hear stories about pastors and pastors' kids and how... They retell and recount the day or the moment or the scenario in which their parents got the rug pulled out from underneath them or stabbed in the back or left by their church in some awkward and weird way and I just want you to know how grateful I am for the way you have responded and the way you stood up for me uh, as your pastor. It means more to me than you know. My daughter sat through two two hours and 15 minutes of a congregational meeting right here in the front row and she was watching you all. So thank you. Um, I can't ever repay you for that. Um, A huge thank you to the staff and the advisory team around here. Would you all join me in saying thank you to them? Uh, Whatever affection you have wanted to direct towards us, thank you, but I'd like you to now direct it towards them, towards Jenna and Risha and Mandy and John Mark and Jane and Trevor. Um, they not only held it together while I was gone, but just led, just planned things. Like there was a potluck. I had no idea it was being planned. They just planned it. They said, Michael, we're going to do this, just killing it while while I was away. Um, And the advisory team, there are six people and myself that serve on this team, and they and their families have sacrificed a great deal um, on your behalf and on behalf of the gospel. And so if you know them and you see them walking around Awaken, will you just give them a hug and say thank you um, they have led in an exemplary way over the last few weeks. Um, I also want to say that I'm sorry. Um, this, If you were here at the congregational meeting, I said this, but I feel like it may have been missed at that. Uh, there are a few mistakes that I have made in this journey and along the way. And um, I uh, that have cost a lot of people, including our staff and advisory team and you all. Um, I I could have and I should have brought people into the decision that I made and I didn't. And that's a mistake that I own and I take full responsibility for. I've asked each of their forgiveness for that and I ask it from you as a congregation. Um, That was a mistake and and I made it and so I'm sorry for that. Um, A bit about the meeting that we had and then I want to jump into Mary. Um, a, A few weeks ago we had a congregational meeting where we discussed what was going on and kind of how all of this is playing out, and you all have heard me say before in the past, how you believe what you believe is as important as what you believe. I'm going to say that again. How you believe what you believe is as important as what you believe, and that is no more important than right here in this moment for our church. How we hold our convictions is as important as the convictions in and of themselves. Because you can say that Jesus is loving and gracious and wonderful and beautiful, but hold that view in a very angry, mean way and no one will believe you. How you believe what you believe is as important as what you believe. From the very beginning of Awaken, from the first series that we did called Wells and Fences we have talked about and we have defined this community around this metaphor of a well in the center and not fences. By that I mean we have all agreed, or we invite you to agree, on the well that is in the center, which includes in it Christ. The life, death, teachings, resurrection of Jesus the Christ, and new life found in him. That's the center. And because of that, we're empowered by the Spirit of God, with the scriptures as our only confession, we work out together what it means to be the people of God on mission in the world. That's it. That's in the center. That's the well. And it's, it's available to any and all. Now, when we disagree, and we will, when we disagree on disputable or non-essential things, so something that's not in the well that we've said, this is essential, we can't lose that, when we disagree on something, We extend freedom because we're in Christ. If you didn't know, this is the sixth affirmation of the Covenant Church. So when we disagree on something, we do it in a certain way. We trust, we entrust our brother or sister with whom we disagree into the care of the Spirit among us. And we trust that God is at work in this place, working on me as much as you. So when we disagree on something, we extend freedom to each other and we stay together in fellowship and in communion and in our common bond for the gospel and the work of God in the world. This, if you didn't know, is pietism's rich history. This is the revival pietist movement from which the covenant comes. This is good covenant theology. And I think, if in my humble opinion, this is the only shot the church has going forward if we hold these essentials in this way. So I want to invite you. Now is not the time to sort of migrate to whatever camp you fall into. That's exactly what the world's asking you to do and telling you to do. Now's the time to double down on the well in the center and the Jesus, who if you didn't notice, if you watch Jesus in the Gospels, he's always doing third-way stuff, right? Where you think it's either this or that and Jesus is like, ah, it's actually this. Over and over and over again, Jesus is backed into a corner and said, is it this or this? And he weaves a new way forward, a third-way thinking. That's what we're talking about a well in the center which is open to all and anyone. With these essentials, and when we disagree on something, which faithful, loving, Bible-affirming people interpret differently, we extend freedom to one another, and we stay in fellowship, we stay in communion. We don't say, I'm with them or I'm with them. Now, friends, this will require incredibly mature, emotionally and spiritually, mature people this, holding this tension and holding this space is the hard spot to be. This is called the ecotone in the world that we live in, where the meadow meets the forest, where the ocean meets the land. Have you ever been in a tide pool before? It's not the ocean, it's not the land, but gosh, it's teeming with life, right? That's the space. The ecotones are always filled with life, and that's what I'm inviting you and myself in this church to live in. It's hard work. It's going to take mature people, but I believe in you. I believe in this thing. Laura once said, Micah, Awaken is your Mona Lisa. I think she's right. This place is amazing. I love this church. If you all weren't here, I'd still come. (laughs) I want you to be the church that I believe you can be. And together... We'll walk this out and continue to come to the table, to come to the well and say, no, it's these things in the center. It's these essentials. It's Christ and Christ alone, Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, the Spirit in us, the Scriptures. We come to those and we say, that's in the center. When we disagree, freedom to you. I entrust my brother or sister to Christ, to the Spirit's care. Does that make sense? Now, what does this mean? Let me say it simply to those of you who read the scriptures and have come to an informed and spirit-led conclusion that there is room for same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage, faithful, monogamous, same-sex marriage, good, great, beautiful, I'm so glad, I'm proud of you, and I would then say, walk that out in a Christ-like, honoring way to God and your neighbor. To those of you who read the scriptures and come to a faithful, spirit-led conclusion that's in agreement with the ECC position of celibacy and singleness and faithful heterosexual marriage, good, great, awesome, you are welcome here. Now figure out how to live that out in a faithful, God-honoring way. This is not platitudes, I'm actually serious. Whatever conclusion you come to on this matter, we've said this is non-essential it's disputable which means good faithful bible loving jesus following people come to different interpretive conclusions on this conversation it doesn't mean that sexuality is disputable it's not it's very important but in terms of what we call essential and we all agree on or we agree to agree on this isn't in it so if you come to a position that affirms the ECC, or if you come to a conclusion that affirms the ECC position you're welcome here if you don't, and you come to a conclusion that affords allows for same-sex marriage, you're welcome here. I'm totally 100% serious. What this means, we do not require total agreement on disputable matters. This one, or divorce and remarriage, for example. People come to different conclusions on how to interpret what the Scripture says about that. I don't ask everyone to agree on that. How a Christian responds to violence or war. There are people here who say, War is just in some cases. Others who say, pacifism. There's no other way to read it. We don't ask everyone to agree on that. Why? It's disputable. Good, faithful, loving, Jesus-following, Bible-affirming Christians come to different conclusions on those issues. And we don't ask everyone to agree. What we do ask is that we, we, we commit to a certain way of being together in our difference, which is this. Marked by humility. Humility this is my conviction, I hold it with open hands, and I might be wrong. Can you imagine some of the tense conversations that our culture has around these issues if we all came to it and said, this is my conviction, I hold it with open hands, but I could be wrong. (laughs) How amazing would that be? Where if we just said, I've studied, and I've read, and I've tried to understand, and this is the conclusion I've come to, but quite frankly, I hold it with open hands. I could be wrong. I'm interested to learn from you. So marked by humility, marked by grace, we actually give each other space to be on a journey. We don't expect everybody to have arrived where you have arrived, wherever that is. But we say, no, everyone's on a journey here. Let's make space for that. So marked by humility, marked by grace, marked as learners, where we say, I'm a learner here. And so if I disagree with you on something, I come and I assume that I have something to learn from you. Everyone is my teacher. Make that a motto. Tattoo it on your arm. Everyone is your teacher, even if you disagree with them. So we commit to being together in a certain way, which means that we won't tolerate other ways. Those things include interactions marked by, in the the spirit of, exclusion, ignorance, divisiveness, or mean-spiritedness. I'll just say it out loud from the front like it's ironclad and I'm the pope. If you're going to act like that, I'm going to ask you to leave because this isn't a safe space when our, in, when our interactions are marked by those kinds of words. Now, I want to invite you to a couple of things as your pastor, and then we're going to get to Mary. It's going to be great. I want to invite you to a high bar of maturity, both spiritually and emotionally. Some churches like set the bar really, really low, and I just i am I'm not doing that. I believe in you, and I believe I have been with some of you for five, six, and seven years teaching you the scriptures and the message and the gospel of Jesus. I expect that your lives will increasingly look like, sound like, feel like the gracious, humble person that we follow in Jesus. I don't think that's too much to expect from you. So as you interact and as you engage, I expect you to be growing in maturity, both emotionally and spiritually. I'm not lowering the bar for this community and I'm not lowering it for myself or us. This is actually good news to a world who's watching, who can't hold this kind of space. So I'm going to keep the bar high. I'm going to also ask, on behalf of my colleagues in the ministerium of the Covenant Church, of which I'm a part of, and I'm in this weird position between you and the denomination we w- we're connected to, I'm going to ask that you show respect to those in leadership in the Covenant. You may not agree with the covenant position on this. Fine. You may think that this was handled very poorly. Fine. I get it. But I would ask that your interactions be humble and gracious. I understand some of you are angry. I totally get it. I understand some of you may be confused. Maybe that meeting was your first interaction with the covenant and it was confusing at best and harmful at worst. I totally get it. But do not let your anger lead. Be above reproach. This is what Paul admonishes the church in the New Testament. Don't give any reason for anyone to dismiss your concern because you've chosen poor words or actions. Now, if you have, okay. We all do, clearly, right? Just live a day with another person in your home, and you'll probably do that. If you feel like, here's here's my ask as your pastor. If you've communicated or reached out to our denomination on my behalf or our church's behalf, one ask, would you go back to your sent box, reread that email, and if any way you feel like, I maybe could have said that better, or I could have chosen a different word there, just try again. (laughs) Just rewrite the email and say, I sent you an email a few weeks ago, can I just try again? Will you give me that grace to do that? I feel like I could maybe say a few things better. And if you feel like you said everything you needed to say in a spirit that honors the Jesus we follow, then don't think, in the, don't think twice about it. Does that sound good? Okay, thank you. Lastly, I invite you, the church, to defend the well that I'm talking about. That's my invitation to you. Defend this space that we've tried to create in the center. There is room for those of you who want to work for ECC pastors and freedom to marry our gay friends. There's, wor- there's room for you to do that. And just, I would say, do it with Dignity and honor and respect. And to those of you for whom uh, there's room for you if you affirm the ECC position and you have read the scriptures and you have not and may never come to a different conclusion you've come to, there is room for you. There's room for all of us. Left, right, Democrat, Republican, somebody said, is there libertarians? Yep, you're welcome too. after first hour. Everybody is welcome here! (laughs) Everybody! I'm not actually joking about that. I'm actually really serious. If you think about a well, if it were drilled right here down in the center, which direction can you not approach it from? None! You can approach it from every direction! That's the whole point. So I invite you to defend who we are and live into who we are. I don't know about you, but I feel like this in some ways is just a giant distraction from being the church God has called us to be. So can I just say... Friends, awaken. Can, let's get back to being the church God's called us to be. Amen? Amen and amen. Let's do that together. Let's do it. In terms of next steps, we're thinking about, like, how do we, how, what are next steps for people who want to engage theologically or on a denominational level? The advisory team is having conversations about that. We don't have the answers, so if you have ideas, we're open to hearing them. Does that sound good? Okay. Finally, let's get to Mary! My friend Dan, who is the pastor at Awaken East, has written a little prayer book uh, for Advent, and it's available to you for purchase or for free. If you want to walk through Advent a little more intentionally, awakeneast.com Advent, and you can download or purchase that if you want. Luke chapter 1, verse th- 46, Mary says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. How does a finite subject magnify an infinite subject? Mary is a finite subject. She's, a, she, she, she's like a body, a person, a soul. How does a finite subject glorify, magnify, make larger, add to an infinite subject? Have you ever been to the Boundary Waters before? Anybody been to the Boundary Waters? Or like out in the wilderness where you can see the stars? I remember sitting on a rock in the Boundary Waters looking up and I remember thinking, I am so small. Like, millions of stars and there's billions of galaxies in this universe, right? And I remember thinking, I am tiny. Even still, this universe is giant, right? But it's finite. We can measure it to a certain degree. We can calculate how big it is and how many stars there are and how many galaxies in the universe. God is yet even bigger still. How does Mary, one small speck, I think Horton here's a who, one small speck in the universe, how does she magnify an infinite subject. I want to introduce an idea, maybe remind you of an idea. It's a Greek word called kenosis. It means literally the emptying of oneself. So Jesus, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Jesus doesn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he makes himself nothing. He humbles himself and becomes a human. He empties himself, his will, for somebody else's will. God, in God's infinite love and wisdom, limits God's self voluntarily. God is not being coerced in this moment. God is not being, uh, uh, somebody's not up there pulling, no, God chooses to voluntarily create boundaries or to take on human flesh. This is the mystery of all mysteries, and yet this is what the scripture argues. In the same way, The scriptures argue that God binds God's self to you and me in relationship. So there are limits that God accepts because God is in relationship or is inviting us to be in relationship with God. How can Mary say, my soul magnifies the Lord? I would suggest that Mary recognizes that she has a part to play. What Mary does, what Mary becomes, what she talks about, what she attends to, it impacts the divine. Why? Because she's been invited to participate in the divine life, like you and I. How can she say, my soul magnifies the Lord? Because she recognizes that she's got a voice. She has a role to play. And so she says, my soul magnifies, makes greater, adds to the divine work in the world. Mary's finite. She's a teenage girl in a nobody town in the backside of nowhere. She's like the epicenter of Anonymous. And yet, she knows, she knows that she can magnify the person of God in the deepest corner and recesses of her soul because she has been invited into the relationship with the divine. What she does, what she becomes, what she attends to impacts the divine at work in the world. This morning, can I be the one to remind you That you are significant, that you have worth and value. You are not a worm. You are not wretched. You are not the product of your worst moments and your worst words. You are not original sin. You are beloved. You are blessed. You are good. You are made in the image of a God who is infinite love and goodness and beauty and hope. And you have been fashioned in this image. Though you may have wandered, though I may have wandered, we are being invited back into the relationship and the place from which we have been created. What is most true about you is that you are good, that you are fashioned in the image of a God who is good. What is most true about you is not your brokenness and your sin and your proclivity to it, but actually that you are made and fashioned and formed in the image of a God who is all love and all good and all grace. That's what's most true about you. And so you have a role to play in the grand story of God's work in the world. And so, like Mary, you can say this morning, my soul magnifies the Lord because I have a voice and I have a role to play. And I guess I would just ask you this question. What is it? Do you know your role? Do you know your unique voice, the thing that you bring into the world that nobody else can bring into the world because it's yours? Because you have two options. You can wake up and be in partnership with God as you live that out in this grand story, this grand caper of rescue and redemption, or you can stay asleep. Be a good name for a church. (laughs) Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And then she says, All generations will be blessed because of me. I mean, seriously, that is big. That's a braggadocious, it's like the proverbial mic drop. She's like, oh, y'all gonna be blessed because of me, boom. Maybe it didn't go down that way, I don't know. Like, how can she say that? That all of the generations of all the world from here on forward are gonna be blessed because of me. She's a teenager, I mean, we all know that teenagers think a little highly, a little too highly of themselves at times, no offense, boss, man. Maybe she just, like, she was a little absorbed with herself that day. Maybe she looked really good. Maybe her hair was just on point. My wife and I used to have this word for students who could think, like, who weren't self-absorbed. We'd say that they, they have the capacity to think outside of the box of themselves. How can Mary say that? I want to hold this first point in one hand, that you have a voice and you have a role and Mary has a role and she has a voice and she recognizes, on the other hand, that it is God at work in her that will be the blessing for all generations and you only need to read the rest of the Magnificat to get that. What Mary does so beautifully is hold the tension between these two ideas And for us, in an either-or world, where it's got to be this or that, it can't be both. I wonder if there's a field out beyond where I will meet you, says Rumi. Beyond right and wrong, between this, beyond this and that, either-or. Mary holds both. And she gets the beauty and the blessing, the mystery of Advent. And I would suggest that if we can't hold both of these ideas, that it is at once you, and you have a voice, and you are good, and God is inviting you back into fellowship with God for a grand caper of beauty and rescue, and it is God at work in you. If we can't hold both, we lose something that is fundamental. If we only say, it's me, it's my role, I've got something to say here. We run the risk of thinking too highly of ourselves, and we run the risk of diminishing what's true and real, which is sin and brokenness and our proclivity to it, which ruins everything in its wake. That's a dangerous story and has dangerous consequences if it's the only thing you ever hear. You're fine, you're good, you're beautiful, nothing is wrong. If we only say this, it's not me, it's all God, I am just a vessel, just here for the Lord's using. I have no worth or significant value or or voice. No, it's all the Lord. We run the risk of beginning the story in the wrong place. Genesis 3, not Genesis 1. Where you are a worm, a depraved, wretched human being with no good. Your heart is all black and all wicked. And you are lucky that God graciously has reached down from the flames of hell and saved you. Because that's what you deserve. That's a dangerous story, That has dangerous consequences. And if it is only one and not the other, we miss the gospel, we miss the good news, that friends, it's both. I am broken and on my own, I make a mess of things. And it is God at work in me that will be the blessing to any generation that comes after me. And I have a voice, I have a role. God has invited me, Micah. I don't know why, but he has. And God has invited you. So it's gotta be both. It's not either or. It's a third way, maybe. Last, I want to offer this to you as we close. Mary says, He has been mindful of his humble servant. God has been mindful of his humble servant. There's a theme that, as Luke retells the story of Jesus, that I think is very appropriate for us in our day and in our age, and it's this one. The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Have you ever heard that one before? As Luke retells the story, all the wrong people get in. All the wrong people hear the news. All the wrong people get invited to the banquet. The beggars, the outcasts, the poor, the tax collectors, the sinners, the Samaritans, the women. The shepherds, they not only get a voice or get a hearing, it's often coming to them first. Think shepherds in a field, think Mary, a pregnant teenage girl too young. Elizabeth, an old woman who's too old. Jesus' first sermon is Luke 4, where he says, I have come to bring sight to the blind, to set the captives free so the deaf can hear. Hallelujah! It's all over Luke's gospel, and if we read Advent, and we make this path towards Christmas, and we don't get this piece, that the last will be first, and the first will be last, we are not reading Luke's gospel, but we're reading the gospel we want Luke to be. Friends, I may sound like a broken record to some of you at this point, but it's worth repeating and then repeating again because one, vision leaks. And so when you think the people got it, go back to the beginning and start over. And two, this word is contrary to all of the powerful voices that get all the play on all of the news stations every day. And it's one that says, you know it's gospel and good news when the brokenhearted are bound up. You know that when the prisoners of all sorts are set free and the blind of all kind are given sight, when the lowly are lifted up and the proud and the powerful are quieted, when the outsiders are invited in, when the table just keeps getting bigger instead of smaller, you know it's good news. You know it's gospel. If you read the good news about Jesus and the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poor, that's not good news to anybody. If you talk about the gospel... And it props up the powerful at the expense of the people at the bottom, that's not gospel. If you read the good news and talk about the good news and it's only a certain group of people for a certain section, that's not good news. Mary, God bless her, she recognizes the power and the trajectory and the impact of this story that good news has come. She knows that, so she says, she proclaims it, my soul magnifies the Lord. I, Mary, the nobody on the backside of nowhere says, I'm adding to you, I'm bringing my voice to the story. I'm impacting the divine at work in the world. And all generations will be blessed because of God at work in me. The lowly will be lifted up, the proud will be humbled, the hungry will be fed because good news has come to me and I get to announce it. You should call it the Magnificat. And so do you. Good news, friends. Mary wrote this beautiful, well, Luke wrote, she sang. We have this poem, this beautiful song, which captures the heart of this and says, I get to participate in this. Blessed are you, God. I'm adding my voice to the choir. And I think if Mary were here this morning, she'd say, add yours. You get to announce it. You're the church. You're the people of God in the world. Sing it from the tops of the mountains, from the steeples, from your rooftops. Sing it out, church. Good news has come. So will you? Are you? What will you do with that story? I don't know about you or what you thought you were getting this morning, but friends, I just think that this idea that the God of creation not only becomes a human and lives among us and shows us what love and mercy and justice and hope looks like but then says come on join me i mean seriously this is like unbelievable news some would call it good news great news the gospel evangelion so sing it out so I just I had a lot of things pent up for the last 5 weeks. I just <laughs> got to get them out there, people. Come on. This is a great this is a caper of all capers. Like rescue and hope and redemption and liberation and sight and prisoners being set free and people being healed. And Jesus is like, "It's this way. Follow me." So, I don't know about you, but that's where I'm headed and I hope you join me. I hope you add your voice. I hope you know what it is. I hope you have a song to sing and a note to play, because it is just beautiful. So let's do it. How about it? You with me? Are you with me now? (laughs) Hallelujah. Pray with me for a moment. I want to lead you into a time of silence. So you can consider and reflect on who it is that God has called you to be in the voice that you have. God, for this church, man, I am so grateful. For this body of believers in this corner of your kingdom, we want to be found faithful with the good news of the gospel. That the table just keeps getting bigger. So God, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to hold those who we've not been able to hold. Change us from the inside out. God, you at work in us is the hope of the gospel, Paul says. So I pray in these next few moments that you would invite us, remind us maybe, the voice that we've been given, the song that we have to sing, the note we have to play. Whatever unique gift that is, God, I pray that you in the next moment of silence would remind, illuminate, invite us to bring it and to offer it to you for your good work for love, for hope for forgiveness Holy Spirit lead us to the church of Jesus gathered in St. Paul the Lord has blessed you and kept you, the Lord has lifted up his face to shine upon you and is gracious unto you the Lord has lifted up his countenance to you and given you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said with joy in their hearts, Amen. Amen.
0: Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com/awakeningcommunity. Or on Twitter and with the community.
1: See you next time.